Okay, so we're in our series about uh, parenting, and we've been covering this idea that says, hey, what does it mean to get to the offensive side of parenting, to stop reacting, stop responding to what happens in our kids' lives, and to get to the front end of this and to actually anticipate what they're going to need in their lives and then begin to parent them uh, in that particular direction. And if you were here uh, kind of at the beginning, you remember that we said, look, a lot of times how we develop a parenting style is really reactive. It really is this defensive end of things that whatever we experience from our parents that often we said, look, I'm just never going to do that with my kids. And so suddenly the pendulum swings completely to the other side and we simply do the opposite of what our parents did in our lives in reaction. Or it could be the other. We said, man, that was so cool that dad would sneak us out for pizza and mom didn't know. So since I love that as a nine-year-old, that must be amazing parenting. And so we adopt that style. But it's not because we've come to a place where we go, this is really the best thing for our kids or this is the healthiest things for our kids. It's often a reaction. So we talked about this idea that said, hey, sometimes what happens is that uh, we have parents that are just like super, super, super strict. There's like a rule in our home about everything. And out of that, we go, look, I, I just don't even want to do that to my kids. And so we swing the pendulum uh, completely to the other side, and we say, look, I, I'm just going to give my kid all sorts of freedom. I'm going to give them the opportunity to make all sorts of decisions for themselves and kind of figure out life for themselves. And then uh, we come to a point in our kids who go, you know, in the midst of that freedom, in the midst of not having more direction in my life, I made horrible decisions. I, I made choices that today as an adult, I still regret some of the things I did uh, as a teen. And so then in reaction to that, when they parent, guess where they go? Back to the other side. And, and, and often what we do in parenting is simply reacting to what happened to us. Some, some of us grew up in homes where we go, look, my parents were just huge disciplinarians. I mean, it just seemed like they overreacted and overdisciplined on every issue, and I'm, I'm just not going to do that. And we turn around and we become kind of our kid's best friend, and, and it's all about making them enjoy being with us and want to hang out with us on a friendship level. And our kids are going... I, I really need a parent. Today we're going to talk about one of those areas where I think we may have reacted. We may have said, look, I, I just didn't want that. How many ever had a parent say to you, uh, because I said so? And in that moment you said, okay, that's like the worst parenting moment ever. That's like the most horrible thing because, I mean, you know, if you really knew what you were doing and why you were doing it, you should be at least willing to explain it to me and help me understand why you would ask me to, to do that as a child. And some of us said, look, I, I'm, I'm just never going to do that to my child. I'm, I'm always going to be willing to explain how I came to that conclusion and why this works for their benefit so that they can get it and understand what I'm trying to accomplish as a parent. And I just want to suggest this morning that maybe, maybe that's not the wisest decision. That maybe that is simply, again, an overreaction to something I did not necessarily enjoy uh, when I would be, was being parented. But maybe that reaction of saying, look, I'm, I'm going to explain and help them understand all of my parenting decisions actually takes us to the other side of unhealth. Let me tell you why I think this may cause issue. That when you and I place ourselves in the responsibility of parents of explaining to our kids why we've made every one of the decisions we've made. You realize that we put ourselves in a position where our children believe that they have the right of review. 
that, that adults, that authorities in their life ought to be willing to explain every time what's going on and why that decision was made. Fast forward your child to 19 and they're doing their first job. And a decision comes down from corporate, and they would like corporate to explain to them why we're putting more money in advertising than we are in production this year. And see how well that plays out. The other is simply this, that by inference, when you and I review our decisions with our children, we're willing to explain everyone and give our three logical reasons why we ask them to do that. We imply to our children that they have the right to debate and to veto the decision. That if they can give us three logical reasons why that's bad parenting and why that should not have happened, that by virtue of the fact that you and I explained it to them, they now believe they have the right to review uh, your and my decision. Now, I know some of us in the room, and you're going, well, then, you know, I'm telling you, I'm doing this, and it's actually working out pretty well for me right now. And, And I get it. If you've got young kids, 9, 10, 11, 12, I get we're reviewing each of your decisions may be working out for you pretty well. Here's why. Because as your child is growing and developing, they're using about half of their brain. And so you're still capable of outmaneuvering and out-explaining them. But wait till they get to 13 and their brain turns off. And then you're going to be in real trouble. Because here's what happens somewhere around junior high. Your 13-year-old is going to decide that you have gone absolutely brain dead and that every single other 8th grader has suddenly become the repository of all earthly wisdom. And whatever those eighth graders are saying are the most vital answers for life. And you will get vetoed right and left. But maybe, maybe more importantly, wait till you release that young person as a young adult to go out and navigate life in the world. And wait till they come to a moment in which they look at something that God has said in their lives. And they go, look, I, I just don't get it. I, if I were God, I would have never made that decision. And they leave your and my home with the idea that they have the right to review and veto parenting and leadership decisions that they don't understand. Because here's the deal. <laughs> There are hundreds of passages in Scripture that you and I, if we had the opportunity, if I were God, I'm not sure I would have done it that way. There's going to be moments you're going to go, so why can't I sleep with my girlfriend? I mean, you you test drive a car before you buy it. All right, wait, 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 wait. This whole tithing thing, it just sounds ridiculous. What, what, what was God thinking when he made the requirements for marriage and divorce? What, what was going through? And I just, I just don't think... He thought it all the way through. And you realize that if you have children leaving your home, believing that they have the right to review and veto leadership decisions, positional authority decisions, that you and I set them up for a lifetime of failure. And here's what I'm just going to suggest. That there are moments in life where it's okay and maybe, maybe even preferred that you and I would simply say to our children, no, no. And when they ask why, that you and I would say, because I said so. Because I'm your father. And simply by the very fact that I'm your father, I have the right. I have the, you ready? The positional authority to simply say, no. 
You're not going to go out dressed like that. Well, why? Because I said so. We're not going to debate it. We're not going to argue it. It's, we're not. No. What time is curfew? <laughs> Curfew's the time I said. Well, why? Because I'm your mother. And that's where I set curfew. And I have every, ready, right, because of the authority of my position of being your parent, to simply say, that's how it is. Now, I know, I know for some of you going, wow, this, this is, this, wow. But here's what you need to know. Scripture absolutely affirms this idea of positional authority. And if you and I miss teaching this lesson, our children as young adults will pay for this over and over and over again in their lives. So grab your Bibles real quick. I'm going to look at a passage where I just think Scripture just absolutely affirms this idea of positional authority. It's the book of Romans. And if you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 13. If you happen to know where the Gospels are this morning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you can actually turn to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 13. And here's what, here's what God says about this very topic for you and me. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Everyone... I wonder what it means when it says everyone. I'm just guessing maybe it means everyone. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, guys, to get just the absolutely earth-shaking moment of this comment, as this is being penned and sent out to early Christians, guess who's in world power at the time? And I'll just give you a hint. Uh, it has something to do with the name of the book. And it's Rome. You can't imagine a less competent group of people, a more devious group of people, a more corrupt group of people who have found their way into leadership. And here is God saying to early Christians, I know, I know, I know they're absolutely pagan. I, I know that they are making decisions that only, I, I, no. And I'm going to ask you to honor positional authority. I'm going to ask you in the midst of this to say, apparently, this is the person's or person that God has put in leadership, and because of their position, ready? Not because I agree, not because I like the decisions that they're making, but because of the position that God has allowed them to have. I'm going to honor God-placed authority in my life. It's not, ready? It's not that I have to respect them. I simply have to honor the position they're in. Back to the passage, verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. Guys, he is saying in this moment, look, I'm probably going to disagree a hundred times. I'm probably not going to understand 
half the time. That does not determine my responsibility. Because he is God-placed. They are God-placed in my life. Can I, can I just be honest and tell you that there are things that our government decides. I'm not all in favor of. I hate, and I'm just going to say it out loud, I hate that any of my tax money would go to young babies being innocently killed. I hate that. As a Christ follower, I hate that. And yet I pay my taxes. And I sit in subjection to an authority that God has allowed in my life, in our lives. It's not about agreeing. It's about the position they hold. Verse 4. For he, actually go to verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment to the one that is the wrongdoer. And basically, Romans just says, look, he's God's servant. And what you've got to trust is that, that in the midst of this, that God is still in control. He's still bigger than that person in leadership. And that God's plan is still happening. Matter of fact, here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest to you that sometimes when we don't have the best leaders in our life, it's because God has given us the leader we deserve. You remember the children of Israel? And there comes a moment where they go to God and they say, look, we want a king. All the cool nations have a king. And so we want a king too. And God says, no, 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 you don't understand. You're supposed to be appealing to me. You're supposed to come to me with your problems. You're supposed to come to me with your directions. You guys have got it better than the other nations because you don't have a man ruling over the top of you. You've got direct access to me. And they said, no, 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 no. All the cool kids, I've got their sketcher camels and their kings. That's what the cool kids are doing. And so that's what we want. And so God says, okay, fine. And you remember that God gives them Saul, an absolutely hyper-insecure indefinitive leader who leads out of his own desire for glory and ready and God simply says okay you want a king I'll give you the king you deserve I'll give you a king who's just as ornery and just as rebellious as you are okay so the next thing I'm going to say you just need to hear me say this has nothing to do with politics you and I had a moment years back, where a president, a sitting president, cheated on his wife, had sex in the Oval Office, who under oath lied, lied and committed perjury, and then came up for re-election. And you and I, in that moment, said, hey, it's no big deal, because here's the deal, character doesn't matter. I mean, who cares what you did in your person? It doesn't, because the economy is good. And as long as our wallets are getting thicker, 
do what you're going to do. And we re-elected him. Is it any surprise to you that not long after that we dealt with Enron? A group of leaders, a group of men who said, look, who cares what we do to manipulate the books and who cares how much deception we do? Because character is not what matters. What matters is we're giving dividends to the stockholders. Are you surprised at what we've gone through in the housing crisis as greedy bankers sat down and said, look, who cares that we're writing subpar loans and who cares what effect this potentially could have on Because at the end of the day, the bottom line looks darn good. Character doesn't matter as long as our wallets are getting full. And is it possible that you and I got the leaders we deserved? And that sometimes... Sometimes God allows leaders in our lives, people in positions of authority, not because it was what his first choice was, but it's because who we needed. And I'm just going to toss out that maybe, maybe, maybe today, that supervisor that you're struggling so much with, the, the management that you just can't hardly tolerate, the husband who just doesn't seem to listen, the wife who seems to be constantly, is it possible that God has brought those people in your life because they're the leaders we deserve? Because they're the leaders we need. The chances are in a moment we said, hey, God, go, we're not going to listen and we're not going to do that and, and we're going to do this our own way. And God just said, okay, if you have a hard time listening to me, try listening to them. Is it possible that you and I have the very leaders in our life? that we deserve. There's an amazing passage in Scripture. There's an amazing story that walks you and I through this whole thing of a young man who finds himself under horrific authority. And it's in, this, in his case, it's by no choice of his own. He simply gets thrust there. And in a moment of real unfairness, in a moment he had every right to look at the person in authority and say, look, you, you are just way off and you have no right to ask this in my life. In that moment, you ready for this? He honors positional authority. He says, look, I'm not sure I agree with anything you're saying. I'm not sure I understand what you're asking me to do. But I trust this. I trust that God has placed you in my life. And even though I'm not sure I respect what you're asking, I will choose to honor the position that God has given you. Grab your Bibles real quick and we can get to his story. It's in the book of Daniel which is going to be to the left in your Bible from where we are. Or the other way to get there is simply go to the very middle of your Bible. You'll find the book of Psalms and work your way to the right to this book of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, an incredible story of a young man who understands this principle of positional authority. That there's moments in life where I simply look at my leader and say, look, I don't think I agree, but I'm going to choose to obey you simply because you're my leader. Here we go. It's Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered the Lord allowed Babylon to defeat his own children. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These, Nebuchadnezzar, carried off 
to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasures in the house of his God. So get the moment. All of a sudden, God is allowing this pagan country, neighboring country of Israel, to come in and defeat them in war. And you go, why? Why would God do that? Because the children of Israel have an incredibly long history of struggling with idol worship. Uh, they would get little bits of stone and they would carve them into calves and they would bow down. Think about this. They'd bow down and worship rocks. They'd get gold and they would mold it into the image of the princess of the heavens and they would bow down and they would worship these idols. Guess where they were borrowing the idols from? Babylon. Babylon. And God simply in this moment says, hey, if, if you don't want to follow my lead, if you don't want to be under my authority, if you are so enamored with their gods and that pagan group, then let them be authority over you. I'll give you, you ready? I'll give you the leader you deserve. I'm just wondering how many of us in our lives and in this moment, we ourselves may be struggling with authority issues as we attempt to try to bring this to bear in the lives of our children. And we, we find ourselves having to respond to unfair managers and people who don't seem to get it. And I wonder, I wonder how much of this could potentially be God in our lives saying, you've spent a lifetime wrestling with me. And if you don't want to listen to me, I will give you an earthly authority until you learn subjection. Until you learn this idea of obedience, not because you agree, but because they hold a position of authority in your life. I wonder, I wonder if in some ways this lesson is as much for us as it is for our children. But here's the other thing. You and I have the ability to look our children in the eyes and say, I get it, I get it. I get that if you had a vote and if you had a choice, you might not have picked me as your mom. <laughs> I, I get that if you had thought about it, you might not have chosen me out of a lineup for your dad. But here's what I know. As much as we've wrestled, as much as we've struggled, I am your God-given father. I am your God-given mother. And ready for this? Your best chance is me. Your best hope for your future is me. And that's why God placed you and me together. And as many times as I wanted to take you back for a refund, it's why I stay your father. It's why I remain your mother. Because deep down, here's what I absolutely know. That all authority is God-appointed and God did not make a mistake when he made our family. And you ready? And I am your best chance. Positional authority. Back to the story. Verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasures in the house of God. 
Then the king ordered Aphanaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were entering the king's service. Now, guys, this is genius, and here's what the Babylonians are doing in the moment. They say, look, if we only have Babylonians in authority over the Israelites, they're going to resent our leadership for forever, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to promote Jews. And we're going to put Jewish young men, good-looking, sharp, the cream of the crop, we'll put them in leadership. The only thing is we will train them to be great Babylonians. So they will be instituting our policies, but the Jews will follow them because they're one of them. It's an ingenious plan. Verse 6, among these were from some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And some of you that know your scriptures know that these young men aren't done yet, that a little later on in the story they're going to stand up to the king with their toes hanging over a fiery furnace to the glory of God. But this is where they get their beginning This is the pivotal moment that God uses to elevate them to positions of influence. And you ready, ready, ready? And it all comes out of this idea of understanding positional authority. It's all because of how they behave themselves in this chapter that they get the opportunity to bring glory to God in that chapter. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, guys, get the moment. By every right, Daniel in this moment could be saying, look, here's the deal. I'm, I'm just not going to follow your leadership, dude. Either you're, look, you're asking me to do something that's just totally against everything I believe. You're asking me to eat from the king's table. It's not kosher. I'm going to end up breaking my dietary life. No, and here's the other part. I don't even believe you ought to be in leadership. I mean, you're a pagan. The only reason that you're in charge of me is because you beat us in battle. And I'm just going to tell you, the south is going to rise again. Wait till round two, and, and, and I, I just, I have no respect for you or for your customs or for your values, and you apparently have no respect for me and for my God. I've got a feeling that if you and I were in the shoes of Daniel, we'd be playing all passive-aggressive right now. We'd be going, look, I've, I'm going to do the bare minimum that I can possibly do without getting in too much trouble. I, I'm going I'm to do whatever I can do to subvert this horrible leader that's been placed in my life, and my hope is that his supervisors will see that he's inadequate to supervise me, and then they'll relieve him, and maybe I'll get a better leader the next time. You want to hear something amazing? Daniel. Daniel does just the opposite. 
that in a moment when he looks at his leader and says, look, right now i just got to be honest, it's, it's really hard to respect you. And it, it's really hard to respect the decision that you're making for me. But I'm going to choose to honor you for the position you hold in my life. I'm a young guy and I'm attending Bible college and I think to myself, hey, it'd probably be good to get some real life experience at this thing. And so I apply at a, a little church in Euless, Texas, and they hire me 20 hours a week to be their youth pastor. And I'm, I'm thrilled out of my mind. I'm doing full-time studies and all of my exams and all of that, but 20 hours a week I actually get to do ministry, and, and I'm just thrilled. A few months after I get there, the pastor calls me in his office. He says, hey, have you ever uh, led music? And I went, well, yeah, I, I, can, I can do that. And uh, he said, good, you're the new choir director. Bad choice. So suddenly now I found myself the youth pastor, but the song leader on Sundays and the choir leading, leading the choir rehearsals uh, during the week. Uh, shortly after that, the pastor called me back into his office. He said, Lynn, we, uh, we lost the janitor. You're now the new janitor. So you get to clean all the buildings uh, every single week. Not too long after that, <laughs> he called me in. He said, Lynn, we've got a newsletter, and uh, you get to write the newsletter. So you get to write all the articles in it. Uh, you then get to go to our printing press and uh, run off a, a screen, and then you get to print all of the newsletter. You then get to put the labels on the newsletter and sort them for the post office and then take them to the post office. Not too long after that, he came to me and he said, hey, uh, we lost a bus driver. You are now the new bus captain. Uh, every single Sunday, you get to get here early and you are going to go out and drive all the neighborhoods. You're going to pick up all the kids for church. And oh, by the way, uh, you have to, on Saturdays, go visit every single one of the kids on the bus route to remind them to get on the bus. Anybody want to guess how I was feeling about my leadership? And uh, I, I went in and uh, I said, you know, hey, uh, you hired me to be the youth pastor. And, and if I just add up all the ancillary jobs, all the other things that you've given me, even if I can do them at the speed of light, even if they go off, every one of them without a hitch, I'm left with about two hours a week to be your youth pastor. Is there any chance that you would consider, could, could I possibly recruit some people to do some of these jobs? I'll train them and I'll supervise them. Would that be acceptable? To which he said no. When I was a young guy getting into ministry, I had to work myself to death you will do every one of those jobs yourself. Here's what I can tell you. If you were to go back and ask that gentleman how I behaved from the time of that conversation until about a year to a year and a half later when I eventually said, hey, I, I think I'm stepping down. He would tell you that I treated him with honor. Not because I agreed. Not because I thought there was any merit in the decision. Because he was my pastor. Because God had put him in a position of authority over me. 
It's one of the most powerful lessons we teach in the life of our young people. Because I promise, I promise, I promise. There will be a moment when they disagree with their supervisor. There'll be a moment they disagree with you. There'll be a moment they think God has lost his mind. And in that moment in which they say, if I had the choice, I'd veto. But I choose to honor your God-given position of authority in my life. It's okay that you're saying, because I said so. Because I'm your father. Because I'm your mother. Now we get to the key moment. Now we get to the part of the story that Daniel understood that is so hard for us sometimes to land our hearts. But it's the part of the story that changes all the answers for us and makes what right now seems crazy make sense in this whole idea of positional authority. And here it is, it's verse 9. Here's what it says. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. And you get what it's saying in the moment. It's saying, look, 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 Daniel, no matter how crazy you think this guy is, no matter how far off base, no matter the fact that he doesn't even know me and he's not even a God follower and he's giving you instructions that just don't make sense to your heart, here's what you need to know, Daniel. I am still bigger than your leader. And I am still in charge. And I have the capacity to direct you through him. Matter of fact, and you don't have to turn there, but there's a passage in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, that simply says this. You ready? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. And God's just saying, look, look, look here's what you understand. I'm not out of control because your leader's not a great leader. I, I haven't lost my ability to do what needs to bless your life and to take you where you need to go just because your leader doesn't understand me. As a matter of fact, I control, I steer your leader. I can cause you to have favor in his eyes in the same way that I can direct water. It's like, it's like having a hose in your front yard. And you walk over and you water every plant you want to. Because what he's saying is water is malleable and I can take it wherever I need to. And I can get your leader to make whatever decisions I need your leader to make on your behalf. I can cause favor. If you'll not forget that I'm bigger, stronger, and smarter than your husband, than your supervisor than that person who doesn't get you. And it's what you and I have got to be able to tell our kids. I know, I know, I know that teacher. I know, I know you struggle with them, but it's okay. God can still work through your teacher. I know, I know, I know the principal didn't, didn't get it. I know. But God is still able to work through this circumstance. And I know, I know, I know you're not agreeing with me right now and you don't understand. And God is even bigger than I am. And he can still direct your life even though you're not agreeing with me right now. Now, for some of us in the room, and you go, Lynn, I mean, wow, I mean, just this is, 
This is, this is tough, and I just, I don't even, man, it just seems a little bit maybe rigid. The next part of the story, guys, I'm just telling you, the next part of the story is amazing. And what, what happens in the life of Daniel next, as he faces a moment, because you've got to remember the moment, he's been asked to do something that he doesn't think he can do and still honor God by a not-so-great leader. And what he does next is remarkable. And if you would afford your children the opportunity to do what Daniel does. It's giving the appeal to say, look, look, I don't understand why you've made that decision, but could we come to some sort of an understanding? It will absolutely prepare your child for what's going to happen in the future in their lives. And if you're in this room and you're a teenager, you want to listen right now because I'm going to help you manipulate, I mean, help you work with your parents at a totally new level, okay? Here's what Daniel does. Daniel comes to this moment and he says, look, I, I can't eat this food. It would be, it'd be the wrong thing to do. And so he goes to his God-appointed supervisor. He says, look, what were you hoping to accomplish? What were you trying to do when you ordered me to eat the food from the king's table? And here's what the chief official says. The chief official says, I need you to be healthy. I need you to be fit when you go before the king or my head's on the plate. And Daniel says, oh, okay. If that's the goal, if the goal is to make me healthy, what if I propose an alternative? What if I propose a test that gets us to the same result? And here's what he suggests. Would you allow me and my friends for 10 days to eat vegetables instead of eating the food from the king's table? And then let's just see after 10 days what's going on. Now, here's, here's what you got to get, guys. 10 days is not long enough. There's no way in 10 days you're going to see visible results. Daniel is depending on the fact that God is going to honor him for not throwing off his authority and yet finding a way to honor God. And they get to the end of 10 days and guess what happens upon review? Daniel and his friends are healthier by far than any of the guys who compromised in their lives and ate from the king's table. And when they become upon review, the officials look at them and go, that's remarkable. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't vegetables that did it. And they pass a new policy. Everybody has to eat vegetables. Now, here's the deal. All of Daniel's friends hate his guts now. But he did an honoring thing in the moment. Here's the part you got to get. He offers an alternative to get to the same place. So imagine this for a moment. Imagine, imagine your son comes to you and says, look, I, I want to push curfew back an hour. And your answer is no. No, we're not going to push curfew back an hour. But what if, think about this, what if your son appealed? What if in that moment he said, hey, wait, 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 dad, mom, why don't you want curfew back an hour? And your answer was simple. You say, look, here's the deal. Whenever you come home, it takes you an hour and a half to get to bed. You come in, you play video games, you horse around, you do stuff. So whatever time curfew is, I know it's another hour and a half before you go to sleep. And then in the morning trying to wake you, you're like a rock. It's like waking the dead in the morning to get you up. And this is only going to compound it and make it harder. And then I'm worried about your schoolwork. I'm worried that you'll be out running around you won't get your homework done. And what if in that moment your son said to you, no, 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 what if we did a test? What if we did this? You give me the hour later, but here's what I promise. I promise you that when I come home, I'll go straight to bed. 
And I promise you that in the morning, I'll set my own alarm and I'll wake up of my own accord. And I promise that I will have all of my homework done. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a parent, I'm taking that one up every time. I'm going, dude, I will trade an hour for self-management all over the place. Imagine your daughter comes to you, says, hey, I want to choose my own clothes. To which your answer is simply, not till Jesus comes back. Just... <laughs> but what if in that moment your daughter appealed? What if in that moment your daughter came back and said, hey, whoa, 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 what are you concerned about if I choose my own clothes? And you said, modesty. I just don't want you to be wearing stuff that you're going to be out in public sending messages, the wrong type of messages, to the wrong type of people. I'm concerned about modesty. And what if your daughter in that moment said, here's, here's what I'll do. I'll give you the modesty review. Uh, you can look at every single one of my clothes, and they either pass or fail, the modesty review. But once they pass the modesty review, I get to choose when to wear them and what combinations to do. I mean, I can do that. I don't care if my kid looks stupid, as long as they're modest, right? I, I'll do that deal a hundred times. And guys, there's the power of the review in which we honor the person God has placed in authority and we simply say, what is it that you need from me? What is the goal? And can I offer an alternative to get to the goal? Now guys, here's the part you got to grasp in the moment. Daniel. Daniel. Because he chooses to honor authority, because he goes in this moment and says, you're asking me to do something I'm not sure I can do, but I'm going to honor your authority and I'm going to offer an alternative in the moment. Daniel sets himself up to be unbelievably blessed by God and highly revered by men. Matter of fact, go back to the passage. Verse 15. So at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away the choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them all vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding, not because they ate vegetables, because they honored God-given authority. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of time, set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none to be equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of the whole kingdom." And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Darius. Do you realize before the story is said and done, he is promoted to being number two in the Babylonian kingdom. Tell me you believe he would have gotten there kicking and screaming and rebelling. And because he chose to honor God-placed authority, even though he didn't agree with the authority, even though he didn't necessarily respect the authority, God honored him and gave him favor with men. Guys. This is caught, not taught. Your children will learn this honoring of authority 
not because you tell them to, but because they see you do it. And, I, and I'm just going to, is it possible that some of us in this room right now who are struggling with an unrealistic supervisor or, or a boss who's too demanding or maybe even struggling within our marital relationship, is it possible that God has you there not for your sake, but for your children's sake? That they would be able to see how you navigate this tough moment and learn a lesson by observation. Is it possible that the most powerful thing you could possibly do in the life of your children is honor someone who's not very respectable? Can I tell you that I think we have an epidemic in our culture today of men who are all off running their own businesses and doing their own thing. And not because they have such incredible vision that nobody else could get it, and not because they're so entrepreneurial that whatever company they were working for couldn't handle their entrepreneurialism, but simply because they had no ability to be managed and led. And they were pretty sure that they were smarter than every other person in the room, and nobody else was worthy of telling them what to do. And in that moment, God said, okay, I'll give you the boss you deserve yourself. And when you fail, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. And what if we, what if we turned this around and began to model for our children the ability not to necessarily respect, but the ability to honor those that God has placed in leadership over us simply because of the position and from that, it suddenly gives us authority to say, because I told you so, because I'm your dad, because I'm your mom, and someday, someday God will tell you so too. So here's your homework. If you've got a leader that you're having a hard time, I'm just going to ask you this week, would you give him honor? Would you spend an entire week not arguing, not being passive aggressive, not subverting? Would you, would you spend a week giving honor so your children can watch? And then here's the second piece of homework. Would you look for two opportune times, hopefully the most frustrating times possible, to look your children in the eyes and say, because I told you so? Would you, would you look, and, and, and don't apologize for it. Just simply say, no, 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 I'm your dad, and, and I'm just going to ask you to do it because I told you so. I'm your mom, and it's just simply because I told you so. I'm not going to explain it. I'm not going to give you the right to be. I'm just because I told you so. I, it's, it's simply my God-given position. And that is a sufficient answer. Two times. And then I told you so. And in that moment, help our children learn an absolutely vital lesson for life. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we're going to be honest and tell you that this conversation has hit us as hard as it probably is going to hit our children. And that we have so often struggled with people in authority that we really just had no respect for, that we just thought... They're making horrible decisions, and I, I don't like how they're coming to them, and I just, I just completely disagree. And in that moment, we chose to be subversive. We chose in that moment to critique and veto. And God, I just, would you help us to model this for our children, that there are moments in life in which you simply, even though you don't like the answer, may not even like the leader, you honor the position. You simply say, that's my, 
dad, that's my pastor, that's my supervisor, and I'm going to honor their God-given placement in my life. God, help our kids. Help our kids to learn this lesson, to be willing to say, look, I'm just going to do it because mom asked me. I'm going to do it because dad said so, because somewhere in my life, God and I are going to be in the middle of a wrestle. Somewhere in my life, I'm going to disagree with what God has told me to do. And I need my answer to be, he's God. And I'm not. And so I'll simply do it because he said so. And trust that he has my best interests at heart. That he's stronger than my leader. That in the end, he causes me favor with himself and men. God, help us with this. In Jesus' precious name, amen.